Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, May 5th, 2020, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. As you may have heard, we had to reschedule our two spring quests and add one in September. This is a soul family reunion in the crystal capital of the world, and any starseed with at least one galactic degree on their chart is welcome to join us. The August Harmonic Convergence Quest will be August 14 through the 17. The rescheduled quest is September 25 to 28. And the November Pleiadian Lineup Quest is November 13 through the 16. And we'll be sending out invitations for the Fall Quest very soon. And with having to reschedule these two spring groups, a lot of those spots are already filled. So if you feel the call to join us, please write to crystals at starseedhotline.com right away to secure your spot or to get more information. Uh, tonight's episode was rescheduled from April 25th uh, because our internet went down and we couldn't get the show started. But we're very pleased to have our guest with us this evening, who is Dr. Susan Shumsky, DD, author of the Big Book of Chakras and Chakra Healing, How to Unlock Your Seven Energy Centers for Healing, Happiness, and Transformation. In this revolutionary, unique look at the chakra system, Susan has delved deeply into ancient literature to uncover the hidden mysteries of the ages. Until now, much of this wisdom has been locked in secret hiding places in the forests and caves of India and Tibet. Now, Dr. Shumsky uncovers these new understandings about the subtle energy field. Kundalini Shakti is a mysterious, dormant, potent force within the body that, when awakened, can bring spiritual enlightenment. The author provides easy, step-by-step methods to help you, gain, help you begin to gently awaken your kundalini energy in a safe, reliable, and systematic way. These meditations, yoga postures, and yoga breathing methods are traditional, reliable, field-proven practices. Dr. Shumsky is a highly respected spiritual teacher and founder of Divine Revelation, a unique field-proven technology for contacting the divine presence, hearing and testing the inner voice, and receiving clear divine guidance. For over two, dec- two, for over two decades, her mentor, mentor was Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who was the guru of the Beatles. Dr. Shumsky served on Maharishi's personal staff for six years. And you can visit her websites, which are drsusan.org and divinetravels.com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds not heard in the mainstream. And we would like to thank Jada, Fiona, and Kathy for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment. And Kathy, much love to you. You're getting over the surgery, and we are so happy that you're back with us tonight. And everyone, please continue to send your healing love through the Emerald Ray to Kathy. 
We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's helpful dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here, and you'll get our weekly show notices if you enable those. Our main website is starseedhotline.com. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself, and coming soon with Rebecca also. And please be aware that due to a massive global starseed activation, our waiting lists are at about six months until we get our new astrologers trained. It's great news for the planet, but we do need to expand our team to keep up and meet the demand. So your understanding and patience is much appreciated. And if you have a birthday coming up, um, you want to find out when your solar return will happen, your 10 hours of power. And um, that only takes a few days. But if you want the stage two interpretation of that chart, remember you have to order it about six months ahead of your birthday so you get it before your 10 hours happens. So first up this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia, if I can find you. There you are on the switchboard, and we are so happy to have you with us. (laughs) It's wonderful to be with you and everybody, Ariel. Good evening, everyone. We have lots of news. It's been a while since we've talked, so let's get to it. Um, In Siberia, there are wildfires so enormous that they are visible from space. Uh, wildfires in the Siberian countryside began late last month and have now burned 5 million acres of fields and forests, sparking what Russian officials are calling a critical condition. The infernos, they tell us, were caused by unusually hot weather in Siberia, mind you. And they have discovered a high microplastic concentration on the ocean floor. Contamination was found in sediments pulled from the bottom of the Mediterranean near Italy. The analysis was led by the University of Manchester, found up to 1.9 million plastic pieces per square meter. These items likely included fibers from clothing and other synthetic textiles and tiny fragments from larger objects that had broken down over periods of time. The researchers' investigations lead them to believe that microplastics, smaller than one millimeter, are being concentrated in specific locations on the ocean floor by powerful undersea currents. Wow. And there have been a lot. Man, the weather has been really, um, really severe all across the planet. Lots of extreme of everything. We just mentioned the fires in Siberia. Then there's floods and hailstones and landslides and all kinds of difficulties. And in Indonesia, West Java, uh, disaster authorities there are reporting flooding in the Bangdung Regency of West Java. This place has been blighted by flooding over the last few months, but now flood water is up to two meters deep in some areas. As of a couple of days ago, 21,888 houses are underwater, affecting 81,088 residents. That's a wild number. Uh, A total of 24,898 families. 
Schools, places of worship, and other public buildings are also flooded. 21,888 houses underwater, affecting 81,088 people. There's been some earthquakes. We had one uh, pretty fairly strong 6.0 earthquake that happened northwest of the Ryukyu Islands in Japan. Um, There have been some others. And in Rwanda, the Ministry of Emergency Situations in Rwanda reports that heavy rain fell across that country starting on the 1st of May that has caused severe damages. And as of yesterday, eight people had died, five were injured, more than 100 houses had collapsed, and roads were closed. And in Uganda, I just spoke of Rwanda, let's go to Uganda. They had landslides that hit after rainfall. They say two people have died, 31 houses destroyed, following floods and landslides that resulted from an extremely heavy downpour that started on Saturday and lasted for over 10 hours. And in Uzbekistan. 70,000 people have been evacuated when rain caused a a dam wall to collapse. Um, Houses were submerged underwater from this collapsed dam. Agricultural lands and residential areas in the region were flooded. Hundreds of houses damaged, as you might imagine, uh, injuries, and so on. Uh, Rescue efforts are underway, and they're trying to redirect the water flow uh, to local rivers to get it out of the plains of where people live and farm. Well, man, you know, nature. I love nature. We all love nature. Gosh, there's so much going on. But now we have discovered that found in the United States for the very first time or something that they're calling the Asian murder hornet. Now, these are deadly hornets from Asia that measure up to two inches long And they've been found for the first time in the United States, and researchers are worried that they're colonizing. These are really aggressive insects. You know, uh, hornets in general are pretty aggressive. You don't want them coming after you. But these are so aggressive, they've been nicknamed murder hornets, and they can wipe out bee colonies within hours. Now, we're talking about honeybees here. And they have stingers long and powerful enough to puncture through beekeeping suits. And it's the beekeepers in Washington State that have already seen the hornets devastate their beehives. Japan attributes 50 human deaths a year to these bees or these hornets, which have teardrop eyes like Spider-Man. They have orange and black stripes that extend down their bodies like a tiger. And these broad, wispy rings, wings that look similar to a butterfly, excuse me, a dragonfly, according to the New York Times. Well, researchers are determined to keep these hornets in check because they say this is our window to keep it from establishing itself. This is according to a Washington State entomologist. He said, if we can't do it in the next couple of years, it probably can't be done. This is so critical to our food production. Uh, Honeybees are threatened anyway, and now this, that's enough. That's really enough. So that is a bit of disturbing news. There have been, uh, in Puebla, Mexico, somebody captured this and put it up on the Internet. There were five tornadoes in a wall line, five in a row, boom, 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 uh, in Puebla, Mexico, uh, several days ago. Unbelievable. They were big. 
five big tornadoes in a, in a line, ra- uh, racing across the landscape. I told you it's been pretty severe. And in Iran, they've had a really bad hailstorm. We don't expect that in Iran or in another exotic country of North Kashmir. In Kashmir, uh, hailstorms struck that inflicted enormous damage to fruits. It hammered down apple orchards, cherry trees, uh, veggie fields, and other types of fruits, every kind of fruit, just demolished their fruit-bearing crops. And, you know, you see these exotic regions that are not prone to white landscapes and the photographs on the net. It's like, what? Where is this? Is this in Alaska? Nope. Nope. They had an earthquake of 5.5 that rattled Puerto Rico. Gosh, those poor folks, they have really been through it. Um, It was recorded off the waters of southern Puerto Rico on Saturday. It rattled the city of Ponce, according to the USGS. Now, there have been other earthquakes going on in Puerto Rico, a similar time frame from 3.4 to 4.9 on the Richter scale. And uh, the island of Crete, just uh, it's a Greek island. They had a 6.5 quake on Saturday. As of the time I wrote this news, it was not known what damage or injuries occurred, and I didn't check up on it uh, 25 minutes before the newscast. Um, and there's other strange things going on in nature. Uh, everybody just kind of listen to this. It's, sometimes it's hard to take. I don't report on these stories because, well, they're unpleasant, but they've been happening with increased frequency a lot, and so tonight I'm going to tell you about it. And this is about deformities in the animal population, the um, newborns of the animal population. Um, the Virginia Living Museum has had an incident, okay? Um, They have had birth, a birth, of a baby two-headed turtle. Um, They weren't raising this turtle. Actually, it was donated to them. Somebody found a turtle with two heads in Williamsburg and turned it into the museum, and there's a photograph of it on the Internet. It's It's an infant turtle. And in India, a farmer got scared when he saw one of his pigs uh, give birth to seven piglets, but one of those was a two-headed piglet. Of course, everybody crowded around to look at this poor piglet. But the piglet has two heads with two noses and three eyes. Now, the farmer says that the piglet requires constant care, which they're giving him by using baby formula to strengthen his weak legs, according to the farmer. So they're trying to keep that piggy alive, but... Again, I don't report on these stories, but I do note that it is quite common now. We see many two-headed versions of everything, snakes, frogs, you name it. So it's something to be mindful of. Now, I bet you haven't thought of this, and I was really kind of taken aback by this, except in my region right now where I live, it has been unusually cool, like March weather. And here it is, an article on the Internet about global cooling. We have just experienced the second largest two-month temperature drop in history, as recorded by NOAA's satellites. In April 2020, the Northern Hemisphere experienced its second largest two-month drop in temperature in the 497-month 
satellite record. What does that amount to? <clears throat> it's dropped 10 degrees centigrade overall. That's a lot. Yeah. And I, I don't know how many of you are experiencing cooler temperatures. I'm sure everyone isn't, but I certainly have been here, my area. And so, according to this article, it's, it's happening elsewhere in the world as well. And this is a story, um, wow. Now, I don't know why they posted this now. So bear in mind that as, you, as I read this to you, you're going to find out this happened two years ago. <laughs> and I don't know why it's on the Internet now, but I'm sharing it with you because I'll bet you didn't know that hailstones could get this big. Um, a meteorologist from Penn State University here in the United States was quoted in this article as saying this was an uh, incredible hailstone. He said this is the extreme upper end of what hail can give us. This was a hailstone that smashed down from a, a thunderstorm in Argentina, like I said, two years ago, in a heavily populated town. And I guess they froze this hailstone. They probably put it in a freezer. And now uh, Penn State University studied it. But anyway, guys, it's over nine inches wide. It fills the palms of a man two hands together. It crosses oh, wow. two hands together. It's as big as two fists. And again, in India, they had a hailstorm that, tennis ball-sized, that landed all across the fields. It resulted in property and damage to crops, cars, and buildings. They said it ruined the wheat, mustard, and barley crops And at the time when these crops were ready to be harvested. And just today, South Dakota was battered by hailstones the size of sail, uh, baseballs. Today, it swept through the plains uh, of uh, uh, South Dakota, and uh, there were winds of up to 72 miles per hour, and there it is. I mean, what's with the hail, what's with the hail guys? There are huge hailstones. All right, in Russia, let's see if I can say this. Are you ready for an Anastasia Bungle, let's try Pronunciation, <laughs> Yes, you guys would. I'm making your day with this. Okay. Kluchevskaya Sopka. Kluchevskaya Sopka. This is the tallest volcano in Eurasia. It's erupted. Um, they say that this is the latest activity of it. Actually, this is a pretty big volcano. It's uh, about 5,000 meters in height. They say it was in, inactive for three years. And then last October, it started spewing lava again. And again, just on, actually, uh, last week, it erupted yet again. And in Yemen, they say that they have been hit by a once-in-a-generation flood. Initial reports indicate that more 100,000 people across Yemen have been impacted by torrential rains and flooding. Uh, they say that uh, countless families have lost everything. They say this tragedy comes on top of the COVID-19 crises, which comes at the top of the, of the famine last year, which came on top of the worst cholera outbreak in modern history. Yikes. Flooding has damaged roads, building uh, bridges, the electricity grid, contaminated water. It's cut uh, access to basic services for thousands and thousands of people now. They are rationing food. Um, they don't have houses to live in. Uh, wow, this is in Yemen. And, you know, I hear a lot of people here in the state say, oh, boy, I'm so tired of this lockdown. I just hate this. I'm miserable. You know, it's, I'm suffering. 
when we, if we can understand what's going on all across the planet, maybe we would just simply count our blessings, okay? Because so many people have it so much worse, regrettably. And the strange sounds are back. Gosh, you guys, this happened uh, within a week period toward the end of April. Uh, there were four reports. Um, one was in Ireland. One was in Spain, one of the reports. Uh, Lakeland, Florida reported loud flute sounds coming from the sky. And in Russia, strange sounds were heard in the sky. So across the world, it's happening again. That was, again, the, the last part of April. And here's another one. <clears throat> Mysterious blue lights have been seen in the sky across the world. Now, everybody is discussing, I mean, social media users are engaged in debates about whatever this blue light could be. But due to the coronavirus uh, pandemic that's confined most of the world's population within their walls and have generally closed all public spaces, many neon business lights have been shut out. So this isn't, probably not, likely not, reflection in the sky from some lights on the ground. And so people are asking, what are those weird blue glowing spots in the sky? And they are on there. There's pictures on the net. They've been spotted in uh, Australia, Spain, and the United States. They're wild. The pictures are wild. Nobody knows what it is. Well, here's an article for you. Bear with me. Some of you are going to cringe. I think it's important, interesting anyway, so I'm going to share it with you. Um, A quarter of French adults smoke cigarettes. So, therefore, many people were surprised when researchers reported just a week or so ago that only 5% of the 482 COVID-19 patients who came to a hospital in Paris were daily smokers. Only 5% of 482 uh, COVID patients were smokers. Now, everyone was expecting that would be uh, a number that would be much, much higher. In fact the ratios of smokers to non-smokers in America, Argentina, China, elsewhere in France, have varied, but all of these studies have revealed that habitual smokers are significantly underrepresented uh, among the people that require hospitalization for this illness. In other words, most smokers are not being hospitalized. According to the researchers, smokers are much less likely to suffer severely from SARS-CoV-2 because uh, they say that this is a very rare (laughs) event in medicine. Usually smokers are at the top of the list for every kind of sickness. Now, they say that smokers are not protected from initial infection, and particularly because they handle cigarettes and then put them in their mouths, they're probably particularly susceptible because transmission often occurs through the mouth. But What seems to be happening is that even infected smokers are less likely to develop symptoms, or if they do get symptoms, they're more likely than non-smokers to have symptoms that are mild. That means they're not going to end up in the hospital. And what this suggests, here's here's the point, there's something in tobacco smoke that's having a protective effect. Now, what they think is that it is nicotine, and this theory is spreading like wildfire. In fact, in France, to stop a run on nicotine, um, nicotine patches, nicotine gum, nicotine whatever, 
the French, uh, French health ministry suspended online sales of the substance just a week ago. And they've limited purchases from pharmacies to a month's supply per person. But what they are doing is they are now conducting studies and offering nicotine patches to certain patients with this condition uh, to test it. They're trying to run a study to see if nicotine actually does uh, mitigate the symptoms of this virus. And what they think is that nicotine as pre- preventing the virus from binding to the ACE2 uh, inhibitors, which is what the virus binds to in the body. Because nicotine uh, apparently binds to those ACE2 inhibitors first, and therefore it, they think that it tends to protect um, the virus from getting hold in the body. And they also think that nicotine soothes inflammation that's caused by the infection because nicotine is used to treat inflamed bowels. So they are doing all of these studies trying to figure out what is the deal with the nicotine and if it can be used to treat this condition. And they say that if it's nicotine or even some other chemical found in tobacco smoke that can lead to a treatment, they say that this would be a great thing, a great breakthrough. It certainly isn't something anyone would expect because, you know, early on in the um, epidemic. They were saying that smokers and people with certain conditions and so on were were more predisposed. But now they have found that, at least in this case, that is not proving to be true. So, anyway, that's a report out of France. And then um, we're just ready to wind this up here. This is our last piece for tonight. Uh, there was a derecho that slammed Nashville, Tennessee, with 70 uh, mile an hour winds, and that just happened two days ago. Actually, it was yesterday, I beg your pardon, on Monday. Uh, Residents in the Tennessee Valley are right now today cleaning up after a long line of thunderstorms, which was known as a derecho, uh, brought wind gusts uh, on Sunday. I guess it wasn't Sunday. It was reported Monday. This happened on Sunday. Uh, They say that this caused winds up to 71 miles per hour, and there were damages that knocked out power to more than 100,000 customers. And they're telling residents, here's the difficult part, that they could be without electricity for up to two weeks due to the extent of the damage. Oh, I hope not. Oh, God. So, you know, I mean, come on, people, get busy. Let's fix this. So, anyway, this is where we find ourselves, and this is what's happening. And, ay, 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 it is a wonderful thing to be alive at this period in history. But I want to just say that many of my clients and people that I'm working with are really feeling the stress And even the most spiritual people can feel stress. So I just want to remind everybody to hang in there because it is a part of life. And with the inner light that you all hold, just keep just reminding yourselves of who you are and why you're here. And that counting your blessings as we go through every day and working with your energy, breathing through it, turning your focus elsewhere, um, beginning to look at reality not through what what it appears to be, but what ultimately you know that it is. Um, We build our strength. We get through this. uh, We don't disintegrate. (laughs) We we maintain ourselves and take time above all else to de-stress because there's no question in my mind from the many people that I'm talking to that it is a very stressful time, and it's stressful in unexpected ways. So there are different kinds of stress in life. Uh, The people in 
these faraway places in the world who are having disasters happen. They're experiencing one kind of stress and many kinds of stress. But for Americans um, sitting at home, uh, going through these changes and trying to decide what to do and what's going to happen next, that's a unique kind of stress. And I would just like to say that I consider this to be an opportunity for all of us to get better in touch with ourselves, with our hearts, with our own energies, with our path and our purpose, and with, above all else, love, the meaning of love and what is really important in life. And so from my heart to each one of you, from my love to each one of you, have a beautiful few weeks, everyone, and uh, know that you're loved, and I'm thinking of each and every one of you. Thank you, Ariel. It's been good to be with you tonight. I've missed everybody. Uh, thanks so much, Anastasia. You do such a great job, and I want everyone to send some light and support through to people in other parts of the world that are having a lot more difficult time than we are. Oh, yes. Let's so, please do that. Thank you, Ariel. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, Anastasia, thank you so much, and uh, we will... See you in uh, two weeks. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. So uh, now I'm going to get our guest and Lavendar's microphone open. Let me just uh, – these clicks aren't happening really quick. It's taking a while for it to spin and open up. All right. There we go. So, Dr. Shumsky, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here with you today, Ariel. Well, it is our pleasure. Lavendar, are you set and ready? I'm here. I'm ready. Okay. Well, Lavendar is going to kick it off, and um, then we'll talk again at the end of the show. So go ahead. Okay. Well, Susan, I got your book, and I think you did an absolute wonderful job with writing it, editing it, putting all everything together that – and it looks like you've taken years putting all this material together. I'm very proud of the way that you've presented yourself. So, bravo, girl. Just wanted to say that up front. <laughs> well, well, thanks so much, Lavendar. That's, that's lovely. Yes, it was a labor of love. It's very, very detailed book, highly illustrated, lots of graphics and illustrations that I personally did because I'm an artist. I did all of the graphics and illustrations in the book. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite an accomplishment. It's, a, it's an encyclopedia of the chakras. Yes, it's re- really well written. I wanted to uh, just say to you that we have a very awake audience. We have a lot of star seeds that have been studying for years and are ready to, to know the next thing to do on the planet. So I just wanted you to know that you're free to say whatever you want to say to our audience because they're very Awake. We have one of the most awake groups going on the planet. Just wanted awesome. to let you know. You don't have to tiptoe around with us is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. So tell us a little bit about your journey, um, how you discovered your spiritual self and, and your training, the places. So give us some of your experiences. Have you ever had an experience with an ET or UFO? or Just give us some idea of where you're coming from. Well, uh, it was the 1960s. I was a hippie. I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area. Those of us who were flower children, which I was, uh, we were seeking a higher consciousness. We were seeking 
spiritual awakening. We were looking for nirvana. And people don't necessarily know that. They think that the 60s was about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But the flower children were really more about let's experience higher consciousness through LSD. Our gurus at that time were Richard Alpert, who later became Ram Dass, and Timothy Leary. And they wrote a book called The Psychedelic Experience. It told us to turn on, tune in, and drop out. So that's what I was trying to, attempting to do. And I tried to have higher consciousness through LSD. That didn't work out very well for me. In fact, it didn't work out very well for a lot of people. Uh, for me, it was a terrifying experience. I never came down from the drug. Uh, m- weeks and months went by, and I was still having flashbacks. It was very odd, but I still wanted to reach nirvana. So I was seeking, I was reading all these books, like the Buddhist scriptures and Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, and I was reading The Way of Zen and other works by Alan Watts. And in Alan Watts' books, he said you have to find a meditation guide. Well, in 1966 in Berkeley, California, you didn't exactly go to the yellow pages and look up meditation guide or anything remotely similar. So I asked a friend, how do I find this meditation guide? And he said, well, have you ever tried to meditate on your own? So I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I lay down on my bed. That's how clueless I was, Lavendar. I didn't even know that you're supposed to sit up when you meditate. I lay on my bed and sort of prayed for or asked for a meditation. And immediately I was propelled into this ecstatic state. I could feel this cord or rush of energy rushing from the tips of my toes all the way to the top of my head. And I felt like I was plugged into this cosmic electric socket, but in the most ecstatic way. And I figured, well, I guess this is meditation. Little did I know that I had my first meditation experience and kundalini awakening all at the same time without drugs or any stimulants whatsoever. And soon after that, I found myself in the transcendental meditation uh, center in Berkeley, California. A friend brought me there. And as soon as I saw the picture of the guru, which was hanging on the wall, I immediately knew that this is where I would learn real meditation. So I learned meditation there. It took me a while for a teacher to even come. I had to wait for another year practically. And then the teacher came and uh, taught us that was uh, during the summer of love, 1967. And that's when I learned Transcendental Meditation. I ended up practicing that for over two decades. And uh, Transcendental Meditation was founded by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. He was the guru of the Beatles. And I was actually in his ashrams for over two decades. And I was on his personal staff for six years. And that was uh, in in Europe. I was on his personal staff. So that's my little story in a nutshell. Oh, my goodness. So you've really um, had a a well-rounded view of metaphysics and spirituality. So that's that's a good thing. Well, your book shows that. Your book shows that you're very thorough in in what you've discovered for yourself and, and, and others. This is really well written. How long did it take you to write this book? Well, uh, this book, uh, this is uh, the third edition of this book already, actually. And uh, it's the best edition, I have to say. 
because it doesn't have errors in it. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to write a book with a lot of Sanskrit in it where the typesetter doesn't screw it up. But somehow they managed to get everything right in this book, and they made all the corrections that I asked them to make. Thank you, goodness. So it was uh, it was quite a labor of love. It took a long time to create all of these illustrations especially. I remember when I first wrote the book, it, you know, it was really kind of nerve-wracking. It was very hard to get it all done in time for the deadline. I do recall. But uh, when my publisher asked me to write a book about the chakras, I decided I would go back to the ancient scriptures of India, the tantric and Vedic scriptures, and I would find the most authentic information that I could find about the subject, which I did. I was able to find this amazing, highly esoteric information, which I was able to put into a form that people could really understand. And I start very slow in the beginning, very easy for anybody to comprehend these ideas. And then it gets more and more complicated as you go through the book. But I start very, very basic so that people can understand what this is all about. So in the book, you talk about prana and aura. So give give our um, listeners a definition of aura and prana as you talk about it in your book. Uh, Yes, well, prana is life force energy. In India, it's called prana. In China, it's called chi. And in Japan, it's called ki. This life force energy is flowing through our subtle body. We have many different layers of our body. We have the physical body, which is called anamaya kosha, which means, in Sanskrit, by the way, which means food sheath. And why is it called the food sheath? Because it is made of food, sustained by food, and becomes food for something else after we're gone. That's why it's called the food sheath. Then we have another layer of our subtle body called the pranamaya kosha, which is our vital energy body. That consists of the prana, the life force energy, flowing through specific pathways called nadi in India, and they're called meridian in China. So the the life force energy is flowing through these pathways, specific pathways, and when these come together to form plexuses, those plexuses are called chakra. Chakra means wheel in Sanskrit. So they are like a wheel because they have a hub of concentrated life force energy or prana, and they also have radiations that are the spokes of the wheel, the radiations of life force energy. That's why they're called wheel or chakra. Then uh, the next layer of the energy field or aura is called the manamaya kosha, which is the mental and emotional body, and that's where our senses are by which we can perceive the world and have experiences of the world. Then the next layer of the subtle body is called the the Gyanamaya Kosha, which is the intellect and ego body. And that's who we think we are, the ego, who we think we are. And the intellect is about decision-making processes. And then there's another layer of this subtle body called the Anandamaya Kosha, which is the causal body by which we individuate. So these are the what they call Panchakosha, five layers of your body, which, but there are also higher 
layers than this. There's the I am body, God body. In other words, we are multidimensional beings living in many dimensions at the same time, and each one of these dimensions is associated with a different body or a different kosha layer, sheath. It's called sheath, actually. And uh, so the aura or auric field encompasses all of these layers that I just talked about. The aura or auric field is that subtle energy body which is keeping us alive. Prana, uh, it is said in the ancient scriptures of India that when prana is in the body, that is what is defined as life. And when prana leaves the body, that is what is defined as death. That's why it is life force energy. And if you were to dissect a corpse, you would not find prana, a nadi, or a chakra anywhere because it's in a different dimension. It's in a subtle body. It's not in our gross physical body. But it is what is regulating your entire body. It is what's keeping you alive. It's what's keeping you going. Prana brings heat. Uh, it allows you to be upright. It keeps you in motion. If there were no prana, you would be a corpse. Wow. I wanted to ask you if you've noticed recently with any of your clients that that the auras are changing. One of the things that I'm noticing with my clients is that they're showing rainbow colors and they're liquid and they seem to be moving kind of like the Roy Borealis. Have you been noticing anything like that? Uh, I haven't. I, I don't haven't been looking at people's auras recently. So, but that's a fascinating finding. I think that's very interesting. It means it's just an indication of the higher consciousness that people are moving into, uh, especially with this lockdown. People are really moving into much higher consciousness. You know, we, a lot of people in the New Age community had thought that there was going to be some kind of event that they named the Ascension, uh, which uh, I don't really want to go into that. I wrote a whole book called Ascension that has nothing to do with that. But, uh, but what I do see is that they did predict that there would be a global uh, ascension in consciousness. In other words, a global rising of consciousness as an event. People, people have been predicting that. And strangely enough, it appears that this is that event. Because with people on lockdown, they are much more introverted. They're turning inward. They're reflecting upon themselves and their purpose and their, you know, why am I here? What am I doing? And therefore, these colors are appearing in their energy field, indicating a more pranic energy flowing through their subtle energy body and indicating greater robust health and well-being. And all of that as a result of the rise in higher consciousness, which seems to be this global event, strangely, not what we would have predicted, not in a way that we could have ever imagined, but to be here. Yes, I agree with you. A couple of weeks ago, um, I read this one paragraph, but I'd like to read it again because it has a lot to do with what you just said. And the girl that wrote it, her name is Kitty O'Mara. 
And the people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played games and learned new ways of being and were still and listened more deeply. Some meditated, some prayed, some danced, and some met their shadows. And the people began to think differently, and the people healed. And in the absence of people living in ignorant, dangerous, mindless, and heartless ways, the earth began to heal. And when the danger passed and the people joined together again, they grieved their losses and made new choices and dreamed new images and created new ways to live and heal the earth fully as they had been healed. That is really extraordinary. Thank you so much for reading that. It's beautiful. Yeah, that, that just goes right behind what you just got to saying. That's exactly what mm-hmm. I think is going to be happening. And the star it seeds is. will start rising after this. You know, we've been kind mm-hmm. of a secret for a long time, but I think there's a lot of changes about to happen with within the metaphysical community, and a lot of star seeds are going to be stepping out a little bit more than they have been in the past. It's beautiful. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about um, your your trips that you take people on, and do you have any coming up? And well, not probably now, but later on, your travels to where do you go? Where do you travel to? Yes. Uh, well, I uh, I produce and create travels to sacred destinations, and also cruise ship conferences at sea that are holistic, uh, wonderful events. And coming up in October, there's a cruise to Tahiti with a wonderful teacher called Ma Sajati. He's a spiritual healer. Then next year, March 7th to the 14th, there will be a Chariots of the Gods cruise, which honors Eric von Daniken. He will be on the ship, Eric and many of his friends and and other wonderful speakers, such as Richard Dolan, Linda Moulton Howe, uh, the Hertaks, J.J. Hertak and his wife, uh, and many, many other really well-known speakers in the UFO field and in the ancient mysteries field. So that will be sailing from uh, Port Canaveral, and it'll be going to the Maya areas in the Yucatan where we're going to have amazing uh, talks with these famous speakers at the, at the actual site. Anyway, that's, uh, that's happening uh, March of 2021. In May of 2021, we're going to have Sail with Spirit. That will be sailing from Seattle to Alaska with some of our most wonderful spiritual teachers and mediums, such as Lisa Williams, Denise Lynn, Dugall Frazier, Radley Valentine, and many, many others. Uh, that will be May 21st to the 28th of 2021. And then um, in October of 2021, uh, there'll be a wonderful trip uh, cruise to the Greek islands and Turkey with Denise Lynn. So those are the ones that are coming up uh, this year and next year. And uh, you so, can find out about those at divinetravels.com. That's D-I-V-I-N-E-T-R-A-V-E-L-S. That's plural on the travels, divinetravels.com. I'm sure that our listeners will be interested because that, that, that's a period of time where 
people will want to get out and start traveling again. Those are really good dates that you've you've uh, charted. So I wanted to yes. get, get back to your book a minute and ask a little bit about the Kundalini and some yes. of the experiences that you could relate to our listeners about how important the rising of the Kundalini is and what does it take to get there? So Kundalini, uh, the word is a Sanskrit word. It means curled up or coiled up. And that's why it's often called the serpent power because serpents, when they sleep, they'll curl up, coil up. So uh, for average individuals, um, not the people listening to this show, but average individuals, Kundalini is coiled up at the base of the spine in uh, something called root bulb, which is below your root chakra. And in average individuals, it's just asleep. It's sleeping, coiled up there. But anyone who has higher aspirations, anyone who's interested in intellectual pursuits or especially spiritual pursuits, their kundalini has risen to some degree or another. You can uh, create a circumstance whereby kundalini rises more quickly. There are yogic practices that are in my book, the big book of chakras and chakra healing. There are many, many yogic practices that you can follow and use to raise kundalini. Some of those are pranayama, meaning breathing exercise. Another would be bandhas, meaning muscular locks. Another would be mudras, meaning specific gestures. And, and, and then, of, of course, there would be yoga asanas, which are yoga postures. So uh, especially the pranayama and the bandhas, uh, the breathing exercise and the muscular locks are really great for awakening kundalini. And why do we want to awaken kundalini? Because when kundalini rises up through the, uh, a specific nadi, uh, kundalini, by the way, is a special kind of pranic energy, a special kind of life force energy that's a spiritual energy. And when it rises up through this nadi called sushumna nadi, nadi meaning conduit of subtle energy, when it rises up through the midline of the, of the spine, through the center of the spinal canal, but remembering it's in, the subtle, it's in your subtle body, it's not in your gross physical body, but it is located at that place in your physical body, going up, rising up through the spinal canal, all the way going up and up and up, and then up through the brain and up to the top of the head. And as it rises, it awakens your various chakras. It awakens your higher perception, your clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairsentient abilities. And it helps you attain higher consciousness and eventually spiritual enlightenment. It is a method for doing that. Rising the, raising the kundalini, known as kundalini yoga, is one way that you can attain higher consciousness. It is not the only way. There are many other ways, and depending upon your own nature, depending on what you like to do, and depending on your propensities, it's good to choose a, a pathway that's right for you. There are many pathways of, uh, to attain higher consciousness. One would be, for example, karma yoga, which is self, selfless service. Another would be bhakti yoga, which is devotion, devotion to a higher power. Another might be uh, hatha yoga, which involves physical culture, such as the yoga, uh, 
practices that I mentioned, the asanas, meaning yoga postures, yoga breathing, and so on. Another would be raja yoga, which is mostly meditation. A jnana yoga, which is, uh, that would be where you are uh, intellectually figuring things out, discernment, the path of discernment. So these are some of the many pathways that you can choose to attain higher consciousness. Awakening kundalini is not the only way. Well, I I know several people that have that have written books after their kundalini rose. So did you start writing after your kundalini rose or did you was you a writer before that? Well, my experience that I described when kundalini rose was uh, in 1966 before I ever learned meditation and long before I ever even thought that I was an author. Uh, I started writing books in 1990, very late in my life, actually. I started writing books. And my main uh, impetus for writing was to spread the teaching that I was teaching, which is divine revelation the meditation method that I teach in several of my books. And the first book that I wrote and which got published by Simon & Schuster was called Divine Revelation. And I've written many other books since then. I have 18 books in print in English. I have 34 foreign editions, and I've won 33 book awards. So I have a lot of books out there. But uh, so writing this book, let's see, I started writing this book in um, I don't know when. Uh, this book came out, I believe it was 2003. The original, the first edition of this chakra book came out then. Well, so this is a an upgraded uh, uh, edition of the book, right? This one is, is the one that... Yeah, okay, yeah. good. So yeah, this is really an excellent edition of this, best edition of this book, yeah. Yes, good. So... I, I do apologize for what happened last week when we had the internet go down. It was something that we couldn't uh, we couldn't fix. But we do appreciate that you decided to come back and be our our guest for tonight. And at this time, I'd like to pass you over to my co-host Ariel. She has the switchboard. So would you be willing to maybe talk to some people if they want to call call in and maybe ask you Absolutely. questions? Absolutely. Okay. Sure. Well, thank you thank you so much for for being our guest. And over to you, Ariel. Okay, so um, just before we go any further here, I just want to uh, let people know that if you are already on the switchboard and you have a, a question or comment, then uh, you'll just need to press 1 on your keypad and we'll get you squared away to come on and ask your question. If you're listening on the computer, then you'll need to pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292 Eight two nine two, and then once you're in, press one, and um, our producers will get you ready to go. So um, looks like we do have we do have some uh, callers already. So while that is um, getting ready, let me just ask you about um, if you could give uh, maybe a, a, a thumbnail of how people can get their chakras um, maybe more balanced because I think people might have, you know, a couple of of their chakras spinning kind of, you know, strongly. 
but there might be some areas where it's out of balance. So what would be your advice to uh, to get those balanced? Okay, uh, chakras, centers of life force energy, and they are what is keeping you alive. And they're also what is operating your mental, emotional, uh, every aspect of your being are operated by chakras. There are seven chakras that are, that are well-known to people. But when I went back to the ancient scriptures of India to when the, my publisher asked me to write this book originally, I found in the tantric and Vedic scriptures that there are seven other chakras that are just as important. And so in my book, the big book of chakras and chakra healing, there are 14 chakras that I go into great detail and reveal everything about them. Now, your chakras are either open and vibrant and healthy, or they are not. They could be muddy. They could have mental, emotional, stuck issues in them, and so on. So um, as far as balance, we're talking about general equilibrium or general uh, well-being of the entire system. And how you have well-being of the entire system is through having prana flowing freely and wonderfully through these nadis, what are known as nadis. They're also known as meridians. These conduits of of pranic energy, life force energy. If that's flowing freely, then your chakras will be vibrant. They'll be uh, filled with robust health and well-being and thereby your physical body will be healthy, your mental body will be healthy. So that's what we want to do is increase the pranic energy. So how would you do that? By doing some of the practices that I recommend that are in my book, the big book of chakras and chakra healing, including meditation, prayer, affirmation, um, those are the subtlest ones, I profound ones, but also you can do physical things like the breathing exercises known as pranayama, the bandhas, which are muscular locks, the mudras, which are gestures, and other yogic practices. You have to understand that prana is not only in the breath. People think of prana when they think of prana, they think of air, they think of breath. But prana isn't just in the breath. It is in the mind as well. It is in water. It is in food when you masticate the food to full extent. In other words, when you chew the food fully, it is in food. It is in uh, water, so bathing, swimming. So prana is uh, in sunlight as well. So these are some of the ways that you can increase the flow of prana through the subtle body. Oh, that's great. Um, so you would say that um, there are several techniques, and I'm, I'm imagining cause I haven't had a chance to read your book, but that you go through step by step on how to, um, is there like a diagnostic thing where you can f- figure out where where you need to put your attention? Well, you can, you know yourself, you know where you have stuck, stuck parts of your psyche, 
And those stuck parts of your psyche, unfortunately, when left unattended, can become illness. They can become disease in the physical body. So it's a good idea to be aware of yourself and in general to just increase the flow of pranic energy through your body, but also to use specific methods such as healing prayers and affirmations and meditation in order to heal the, the psychological and emotional difficulties that you find yourself in. Well, you know, it's it, it it almost seems like like you can you can do so much with um with your intent. And Absolutely, um, intent is everything. It, yeah, it, and it does come from within. So, let me see if we have um Okay, yeah, we do have a caller with a with a comment. And you're going to be talking to Lynn as soon as I get that microphone open. Hi, Lynn. Thank you so much for calling. Nice to hear from you. Hi, Lynn. How are you? Hey there. Hey, and hello to Lavendar. And Go ahead with your I question. want to thank the speaker. Yeah. What what an interesting uh, uh, work and commentary that you had tonight so thank you very much for that are you familiar with a book called the science of breath i may have run across it at some point but it probably is about pranayama right about yogic breathing well yes it's about asana and pranayama and it's a very old book that i believe is out of publication now it's actually done by the buddhist on exactly what you're talking about and it's so interesting and I'm so pleased that you've done the research and I'm looking forward to getting your book and certainly interested in your um, the trips that you're doing oh wonderful yep thank you so thank you thank you very much been most enlightening Well, thank you. Thanks for calling in. I really appreciate you expressing that. Thank you so much. You're I'd very love welcome. To see you. Thank you. Love to see you on one of the upcoming trips. It'd be great to meet you. Well, okay. Thank you. Okay. Well, Lynn, thanks so much for calling, and it's always good to hear from you. You take care. Okay. So, um, looks like we're going to have another caller in a moment here. So we'll we'll come back and uh, after they get out of the screening room. So um, let's see. What is there anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't um, talked about yet? Well, you mentioned intent, and intent is extremely important. Uh, as Lord Buddha said in the very first verse of the first chapter of the Dhammapada, which is the most important scripture in Buddhism, uh, he said. All that we are is the result of what we have thought. Now, that is a really quite an astounding statement. He says all that we are is the result of what we have thought. And then he goes on to say, if a person speaks or acts with a pure thought, then happiness follows him or her. If a person speaks or acts with an impure thought, then unhappiness follows, follows him or her. So what he's saying there is that we're creating our own reality and our own destiny, physical, mental, emotional, everything about us, even 
environmental, everything. All that we are is the result of what we have thought. So we are creating our own destiny through every thought, every word, and every deed. And also, not only individually, but collectively. So we have to become very aware of what we're thinking, the thoughts that are going flowing through our mind. But even easier for us to control would be what we say, what we're speaking, and what we do. As Jesus said one time, he said, um, a person is not defiled by what they put into their mouth. They're defiled by what comes out of their mouth. So (laughs) we need to be mindful of what we are saying, especially when we invoke the mighty I am presence by using the words I am. Be sure that whatever you say after you say those two words, two little words, I am, is something that you want to own because when you, when you use those powerful words, I am, you are manifesting. You are using the potent power of intention to manifest in your life. So let us say things such as I am happy, I am healthy, I am joyous, I am fulfilled, I am uh, wealthy, I am prosperous. I am at peace, and so on. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> um, that, that reminds me of a, a very um, similar um, saying that uh, was given to Lavendar. I, I think if I'm remembering the story correctly, um, it was a, a communication from uh, a, a being aboard the ship. And what she was told and I keep, uh, I mean, this has become kind of a central theme for a lot of our, our community, is that you are what you're conscious of. Exactly. Very much the same, just very much the same expression with with, with different words. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just, as, it's just as easy, as you said, I mean, you can control your words, and it may be a little bit more challenging to control your thoughts in your mind. Exactly, but, yes. But if you catch yourself you can gradually kind of wean yourself away from those limiting um, or even damaging uh, thoughts and then, you know, statements. Exactly. And the way that I recommend people do that is, uh, first of all, when you notice you're thinking a negative thing about yourself, for example, you just say, oh, I really, I forgive myself for thinking that. And instead, and then you just say what, what you want to say. <laughs> you say the opposite of what you had been thinking, which was negative. But first you forgive yourself for doing that. And then you just say the positive statement and say it, you know, audibly if no one else is around and, you, you know, you won't be embarrassed, but just, just, just say right. it audibly to say, I am, you know, if you, for example, if you caught yourself saying, oh, I'm so stupid, then say, oh, I forgive myself for, for saying that I'm, for thinking that I'm stupid. No, I forgive myself for that. And I am intelligent. I am wise. I make wise decisions. Just say something like that. Right. Well, it's kind of like, you know, um, balancing your checkbook. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we had uh, another uh, another guest who we're really fond of um, who said that when you um, catch yourself saying something, in a in a negative way 
that um, is kind of you know shooting yourself in the foot, <laughs> counterproductive to what you said you wanted. Um, she said something similar in that. So if you have a um, a limiting thought, you have to immediately follow it up with the with the opposite, with the positive side of that. And then once you do that, you do one more positive. So the first one cancels out. I mean, the second one cancels out the first one, and then the third one gets it, you know, going forward again. And I thought that kind of Beautiful. made sense too. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And you know, it's a. I think it's a process of um, slowly changing your your pattern. Because it's. I mean, it's hard to just say, okay, today I'm going to do everything differently. Because it just, you'll probably end up failing and going right back to the same rut. But if you just yeah. change one little thing at a time, yeah. it, it's you know it's an evolution rather than a shock. So yeah. um, let me see. Okay, okay. Um, our our next caller is ready to go. So you're going to be talking to Nanette. Let me get your mic open, sweetie. Okay, you are on the air with Dr. Susan. Go ahead with your question. Hi, Dr. Hi, Nanette. How are you? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> Very good. I enjoyed your talk, and I enjoyed the show so much. I have okay. a question um, about the Kundalini. I was leaving a conference one day, and it was a horrendous storm that had been um, going on all day, and I thought that I had, you know, waited until most of it was over, and uh, I was in the car, and I was by myself, and I was driving. And all of a sudden, the the sky broke, and all the rain came down, and there was nowhere for me to pull over to wait out the storm again. And all of a sudden, I'm really afraid of lightning. And the lightning looked like it was coming into the car, and it really freaked me out. And all of a sudden, I felt like somebody had put warm water it just felt like a very soothing, warm water onto the bottom of my spine. And as it came up, it just kept getting warmer and warmer. And it was very soothing. But as it came up, it really calmed me down. The further up it got, the calmer I became. The interesting thing was, by the time it reached the top of my head, I don't know who was driving the car at that point because, I felt the steering wheel like somebody took over the steering wheel, and I was still on the road, and we were still driving. And it seemed like I only closed my eyes for a second or so, but the energy was so profound that went through and whatnot, I felt like I just had this passing out feeling. Yet and still, I didn't faint or anything, but I, I don't know how to describe what I was feeling. And then all of a sudden, I opened my eyes, and then I was fine, and I was calm, and I was peaceful the rest of the way. What causes that to happen? Or can you tell me anything about that experience? Well, obviously, that was a kundalini rising. That was a kundalini experience. And obviously, it was something that you needed at the time because you were in kind of a frightened state. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we can often, uh, these kinds of experiences can overcome us when we need help. Usually there's an intervention by a divine being that is causing that to happen. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, in my opinion, it was uh, a divine, a higher being that came and and uh, was helping you to have that experience so that you could calm down and you'd be okay through the storm. Mm-hmm. And then when you went into that kind of suspended animation there, you were in a transcendent, transcendental state of consciousness. That means you were in that state of samadhi, sama, sama meaning evenness, Samadhi meaning, meaning evenness of mind and stillness of body. So okay. that was that state of samadhi that you experienced, and that divine being took over your driving while <laughs> while that, all that was going on. So you wouldn't so have an weird. accident. <laughs> <laughs> and you knew yeah, what was interesting is I could feel the steering wheel being taken from me, even yes. though I open my eyes like it was like I was just in this warm paralyzed kind it was just beautiful and I didn't yes. feel frightened and, and and it never happened again I don't know what happened as I said but it was just such a wonderful state I had never been in a state like that before and so yes. I often wondered I wanted to ask somebody and I'm like this is not exactly the kind of thing you just ask anybody so I was so grateful whatever <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, because I said, well, somebody was driving because I knew it wasn't yes. me, and they literally, and I was still on the road. We were still going straight, so nothing happened. You know, <laughs> so I have yeah. been wanting to ask that for years. So thank you so much for you know at least. And and does that come up often the smarty feeling, or is it something that you're uh, you're studying as you're practicing it? How does that work? Uh, yes, uh, it comes up in meditation. Uh, mm, the okay. experience of samadhi, meaning unbounded awareness, the experience mm-hmm. of sat-chit, ananda, absolute bliss consciousness is basically what it is. Mm. And it is a transcendental state of awareness beyond the three states of waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. There is a fourth state of awareness. It's called the fourth, meaning turiya is the Sanskrit word for the fourth. It's the mm-hmm. fourth state of consciousness, which is Beyond waking, beyond dreaming, beyond sleeping, deep sleep, that is, there's this fourth state, which is transcendental consciousness, um, otherwise known as samadhi, samadhi. Is that a name for it? In your book? Is this covered in your book? Uh, The states of consciousness are covered in my book, Divine Revelation. Divine revelations, okay. Mm-hmm. That's where I talk about the states of consciousness. Okay. Uh, in, in any case, uh, the being that took over while you were driving was Babaji. Babaji was the being that gave you that experience and that took over. I don't know if you're familiar with Babaji. You can read about yeah. him in the, in the book Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. Can I share something else with you now that you brought that up? Because I, I know a little bit. I haven't read any of his stuff, but uh, I was supposed to go to Australia one year. I've been trying to get to Australia for three trips, never made it. And two weeks before the trip, they asked me, how do you feel about India? And I'm like, I wanted to go on vacation, so I wasn't going to cancel at this point. Ended up in India, okay? It turned out that, the trip was one of the best trips that I've ever experienced. Ended up going along the trail or the path that Jesus, I didn't know Jesus and Mary were that big in India. 
But every place, well, a lot of the places that Jesus and Mary went, I ended up going there. And mm-hmm. it was one of the best experiences of my life. So you That's just figured that you brought up Baba G for me. So that was an yeah. unexpected, but it was wonderful. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. India is a very holy place, wonderful place to visit. I've taken people on tours there many mm. times. It's a beautiful place. Okay, but thank you for telling me the name of who took over because I knew somebody did. And I, yeah. I, it was nothing that I could do. And I said, well, <laughs> I, I didn't tell anybody about the experience because I didn't want anybody to ask me anything silly. So I was like, okay, I just kept that to myself for all these years until I could find somebody <laughs> that asked. <laughs> well, I'm glad you. I'm so glad you called in. Uh, thank you for doing that. Thank you very much for everything, okay. and I enjoyed your talk. So I'm going to re-listen to it again. Thank you. Thank, thank okay. you, Nanette. Okay, great. So, Nanette, can I ask you a question? Sure. Were you alone in the car? Yes, I um, was. Okay. I was there all right. time. <laughs> that would have been a strange ride if you had passengers. And the other thing I thought too I had just I was supposed to go with someone And they backed out at the last minute And so we were going to a Shigong conference So we had these Shigong masters That came in from China And they were at the event And I said well maybe But you know I mean nothing Spectacular happened at the event And we thought they had warned us That the storm had I mean it was like life-changing rain that was coming down. And we waited until we got a window, and we thought we were clear. And um, evidently we weren't, because I was like about 15 minutes out or 20 minutes out, and there was no place to pull over. I was on the highway, and there was like nowhere to go. So I just kept going straight, and I kept saying my prayers. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it was just the most wonderful experience I'd ever had, because as I said, it wasn't scary or anything. It was just this warm energy that was just coming up my spine, and it's, mm-hmm. it's really wonderful. So, wow, that's what so Kundalini is. I I wish that for everybody. <laughs> yes, that is Kundalini. And uh, something I want to point out that you just reported was that you said you prayed. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, you know, the reason why we have these experiences is because we ask for them. Mm. That's why. That's why you had the experience because you prayed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everything when I'm in trouble and don't know what to do, that's what I do. Pray. Mm-hmm. Pardon me. No, I said when I'm in, when when something unusual is happening and I can't think of anything else to do, I'm like, I know there's divine beings, my angels, and everybody is there. So I just started praying. You know. Beautiful. <laughs> so yes. I exactly. That's okay. That's the key. The key is to ask. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Everything that I teach is based upon that one principle. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. You. Well, Nanette, thank you so much for calling in. And uh, make, sure you, make sure you get Dr. Susan's books and uh, they will help you with more understanding, I'm sure. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye now. Well, I am I'm so glad that you were um able to help uh give some clarity on a 
long time past event. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I want to um, uh, recap a little bit here. You have two websites. One is drsusan, drsusan.org, and the other one is divine travels, that's plural, travels.com, uh, where you can check out um, upcoming trips that Dr. Susan talked about. And um, your books are on your website. Are they, I assume they're also on Amazon and other you know, booksellers. Yes, uh, I recommend, considering what's going on these days, I recommend that all my books, yes, they're available online at all the online booksellers. I recommend these days that you order the book from your local bookseller because you want to, this time you want to support local businesses. So if you can order it from a local bookstore, please do that. Uh, that's that's a very generous thought and, and one that we should all, even beyond just buying books, you know, um, try to support your yes. local communities. Absolutely. Support your local businesses because they're not going to be there if you don't. Get, that's right. Get food from the restaurants that you love to go to. You know, support your local businesses, please. So um, on that on that note, I think we're going to wrap it up here, and I thank you so much for being with us this evening. And um, keep us posted if you have um, any any news coming out, any new books or new travels. Um, let us know, and you're welcome to come back and let it, let everyone know what you're doing. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you and with Lavendar. Both of you, thank you, Ariel and Lavendar, for inviting me. And um, I really, really loved uh, doing the show tonight. It was wonderful. Oh, our pleasure as well. So uh, we're going to wrap it up, boys and girls, and uh, we will be back two weeks from tonight. And in the meantime, hold the light. Your light is needed now more than it ever has been. And we need to keep steady and strong for the benefit of the whole of humanity. So think positive thoughts and remember to count your blessings every single day. Show gratitude and compassion. Until next time, good night. been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 